podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. This is Tor Moments in Time, a new series of audio documentaries where we bring you eyewitness accounts of key moments in Liverpool Football Club's history. The first story takes place between the 20th of February and the 22nd of February 1991, 48 hours which changed the football club forever. The story is narrated by me, John Gibbons, for the Anfield Van. On the 22nd of February 1991, Kenny Dagalish resigned as manager of Liverpool Football Club to the shock of the fans, the city and the wider football world. Two days earlier, Liverpool had drawn four all at Goodison Park in the FA Cup, despite leading the game four times in a match that showed all of the team's brilliance and frailties at once. Football commentator and friend of Kenny Dagalish, Clive Tildesley, was then working at Radio City in Liverpool as well as ITV. Liverpool scored four of the best goals you'll ever see in the FA Cup that night. Everton... Sorry, it's good for the worst, scruffiest, horrible goals, you know. Um, you know, Glenn is saying and the goalkeeper sort of deciding between them, you know, which of them was going to um, hesitate for the longest. And, and uh, I mean, you know, Everton, to their great credit, Sharpie and Tony Cotty had capitalised and, and, and it, it was a memorable match in many ways. But it was a ridiculous scoreline and... Um, if if he hadn't made his mind up before that game, he must have made his mind up by the final whistle. Glenn Hussein had been a signing from Fiorentina and was captain of Liverpool that night in Alan Hansen's absence. I can't remember exactly what goal it was, but I left it between my legs. I thought I got a pass from John Milby, and, and uh, I thought he was playing to pass the ball back to Bruce Grubler. So I, I left it between my legs. <sighs> And I thought that Grubler was going to take it, but Tony Cotty come between and scored. That was a mistake from me. After the game, there were reports of arguments in the Liverpool dressing room, something that Hussein denies. No, I can't remember any arguments. I know that uh, Ronnie Moran was quite upset for something. I don't know if it was because of the result or... I can't remember, but I, can, I, can't, I can't remember there was any upset between the players. Not what I can remember. Journalist and Liverpool fan Brian Reid was then working for the Liverpool Echo. The 4-4 at Goodison wasn't a particularly disastrous result, but for a lot of Liverpool fans that night, how did that Cotty come off the bench and pull him two back? Things aren't right. There was a sense that things aren't right at Anfield. Things weren't right at Anfield, and particularly for Kenny Dagalish. The following day, Dagalish informed the club executives of his desire to leave Liverpool. Dagalish was asked to reconsider, to have a break, but he was insistent on his decision. The first people to find out about Kenny's resignation were his family. Sky Sports and BBC Five Live presenter Kelly Cates was then Kelly Dagalish, a 16-year-old living with her parents in Southport. I remember coming back from school and I'd gone over to my friend's house who lived across the road and I got called back and my mum had said, oh, come back. And I, thought, I genuinely thought I was in trouble because it's the tone of her voice and you know, being called back early from my mates, it was really weird. And I went into the house and mum said, 
um, I need to tell you, Dad's leaving Liverpool. And I remember being just so confused. I was like, what, what do you mean leaving? I don't, cause, because it's all I'd known since I was two. So, it, you know, I, I didn't have any memory of a time when it wasn't part of life. And she said, yeah, he's leaving, leaving, as in he's handing in his resignation and he's not going back and they're going to announce it tomorrow. And it was just a really strange um, just a really strange experience. I, I mean, it, it, it's probably overstating it to say it felt like a death, but it was. It did feel like an ending, and and it, and they're the sort of it, it's those similar feelings. Right, I mean, not as extreme as that, but definitely along those lines. That that's kind of how it felt. And then later that night, he came back and he brought a box full of stuff from his office. And I remember just sobbing, just thinking this is, it, it, was the, it was the weirdest, strangest thing in the world. It just didn't feel real because it had kind of been a much, as much a part of our lives as any of the people in it, really. It was, it was always there. So the fact that it was all changing was really unsettling and really sad. That night, Kelly remembers seeing her father for the first time and that expression that will be on every news channel and in every paper over the next few days. He, he looked how he did in the, in the press conference when he came home. It was that same expression, that same kind of slightly stunned expression where it just felt like it was sort of, it was almost happening at a remove from, from him. And that was the way, his, the way his face was in the press conference was the way it was when he walked in the front door. Next, Kenny informed his coaching staff. Future Liverpool manager Roy Evans was working as a coach under his fourth Liverpool manager. The next morning, I get a phone call of Kenny. And he says, yeah. And he called me Eddie, because remember one of my many nicknames the other day. He always used to call me Eddie. So, Eddie, he said, so what do you want now? What's your problem? What have you got? And I'm messing that. And he said, so he went, so as Kenny, he was like a, one of them guys, like, oh, like a prank, like a bit of fun. He said, I'm packing up. I said, yeah, all right, yeah, you're packing up, okay, yeah, okay, you heard it all before, what are you doing, what's, what do you want? Um, and he said, no, I'm packing up, I, I seriously am, I've decided I don't want to you know, sort of do it anymore. And to be fair, I was you know, like, you could have bit me with a, you know, cricket bat, to be fair, I, I'm not a clue why, but there was no signs, so I didn't see any signs, and, and I'm, I'm sure uh, to this day that Ronnie Moran didn't, because we were both, both gobsmacked at the end of it. Later that day, the players gathered before training at Anfield, mostly unaware of the monumental information they were about to receive. We were sitting in the dressing room, and uh, he came in. This is before the training in the morning, I think it was. Yeah, it must have been. But in the dressing room, and he came in, and I said, OK, um, boys, I've had enough. Good luck. And he left. <laughs> Not more than that. <laughs> so uh, everybody was shocked. Alan Hansen was a close friend of Kenny Dagalish who knew of the decision already, which he saw as an opportunity to get one over on his teammates and bosses. Liverpool goalkeeper Bruce Gobelar tells the story. He walks out of the dressing room and then uh, Jockey Hansen, Alan Hansen, stood up and walked out. And about two minutes later, he, he comes back and stood where Kenny just, had just been standing. He said, all right, guys, um, I'm just here to inform you that uh, you're going to be getting an interim manager, and that's going to be me. And he said, he started, uh, hey, you, Bruce, stay on your line, son. 
Don't come out of this uh, out to the halfway line. You just do your job and stay in your box. Stevie Nickel, what's this that you've been drinking too much? And he goes right through the team. John Bonds, you're living on top of a pizza parlor. It looks like you've eaten all the pizzas. And he's gone around everybody, hammered everybody. Comes to uh, Ronnie Moran. Ronnie Moran, you too, you too hard on all the players. You must soften up a bit. And you, Roy Evans, you must get some hardness from him because you're too soft. And then he walks out the dressing room. Goes down the corridor. And we're thinking like this. Now, I was sitting next to uh, Ronnie Moran. Next minute, there's two sets of feet coming down the corridor. In goes uh, Alan Hansen, and he sits down. In comes the chairman. Chairman Long White said, um, oh, "We've been trying to persuade Kenny to, you know, to carry on. We're trying to ask him to carry on, but he, he's insistent that he's going to go. Um, so we need a new interim manager." And the new interim manager, and everybody looked at Alan Hansen, is Ronnie Moran. Now, Ronnie Moran, all I heard is, I'm going to kill that bastard. (laughs) Now it was time for Kenny to face the press. Liverpool had called the press conference with very little other information given, although the Liverpool Echo had received a tip-off from a very senior source at Anfield. Firstly, Brian Reid, then current head of sports at the Liverpool Echo, David Prentice, tell the story. I didn't know this at the time. But that morning, Peter Robinson rang up Rick George, used to do the, he was the Liverpool correspondent, and said, look, it's going to be, it's going to be this press conference at 11 o'clock. You will want to be there. It's a big one. And he went, can you tell us anything? I can't tell you anything. So Ken Rogers, who was the sports editor, hears this, and he thinks this must be massive. He rings him up. Robinson isn't telling him. Robinson isn't telling him. He eventually says, look, look, I can promise you no one. He says, okay, Kenny's quitting at 11 o'clock. I was just like, Years, but you can't tell anyone, you can't breathe a word. So they did up two front page that morning. There was the standard Echo page, I think it was some, Michael Esseltine saying there's no more money for Liverpool, something like that. So that was the, that was the front page I was seeing that was getting composed. And meanwhile, a team of two people were putting together the Kenny Quits. Ken then disappeared up to uh, Anfield for the press conference. And this is the days long before mobile phones. And at Anfield back then, there was one uh, payphone at the top of the staircase. And Ken, who was having to ring the office just to say that, yes, Kenny's walked into the uh, the room, therefore press the button on that edition that's got prepared, Kenny quits. Um, he had to get that information back to the office. So he's there, didn't want to go into the press conference itself in case somebody picked up the phone and kept it engaged for 10 or 15 minutes. So he's got this phone, he's got his 10p poised to go in it, and he's just keeping half an eye uh, in the, I think it was the, the trophy room at uh, Manfield as was, uh, absolutely rammed full of people. He sees uh, Kenny Dalglish walk in, realise that yes, you know, so he's not had second thoughts, it is going to happen. Pressed the button, rang, you know, 227-2000, got through, you know, so said, like, yeah, it's happening. Pressed the button on it. That was it then, you know, so the paper hit the stands. They come out to the main go, big change of plan. Kenny's quit. I went, oh, yeah, whatever, yeah. No, he has. And there's the front page. And I went, Jesus Christ, just hit me, you know. And I remember looking at that front page and he looked a lost man. In fact... What it reminded me of was, you know when you see a, a child goes missing or somebody goes missing and they bring a relative forward to talk about it and they look, their emotions are just completely so complex you can't read them. And Kenny's just sitting there, this lost, this gone figure, looking 10 years older than he is. And yeah, he's, he's, he's gone and it was just a, it was a bizarre, bizarre feeling, you know. It really was, um, of course, we were top of the league. Okay, there'd been the 4-4 with Evan, but we're still in the FA Cup. No one could no one could see the signs of it. Um, and 
you're wondering, well, what's going to happen now, you know? Henry Winter was then working at the Independent newspaper and is now chief football writer at the Times. He also co-wrote Kenny Dagalish's autobiography. Huge shock at the time in 1991 when uh, Kenny Dalglish announced that he was leaving. No one had really had a had a whisper, and it reflected the huge scale of it. That uh, I remember looking at the, the Liverpool Echo, the front page, and obviously had that very gaunt-looking photograph of, uh, of of Kenny announcing his uh, the fact that he was leaving the club at, at the press conference. But what I always remember, and it was like sort of journalistic. Uh, I was just looking at the the secondary story down down the page, which was basically I think the headline was something like Iraq says that the ground war has started, and you just think that is the size of it. You know we're on the brink of World War Three, and yet football, for me quite rightly in a way, takes precedence. And and just looking at Dalglish's face, and obviously it was on the um, shortly after the you know the four four. But, uh, you know, just you, you realised how haunted he was and how deep his pain. I think Liverpool were three points clear at the top of the table at the time. So, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't leaving them in a, in a, you know, down the bottom of the table or struggling. So it was clearly beyond footballing reasons why, uh, why he was leaving. There are certain sports stories that you hear and it comes as a shock because the timing, it, it, there, there was no suggestion that it was about to happen. But almost in the same breath, you kind of nod your head and think, I'm not surprised. Some sports stories happen like that, and two weeks later you're still shaking your head saying, I can't believe that's happened. I cannot believe he's left that job or they've got rid of him or they've sold him or they bought him. But it was one of those sports stories where, which took you by surprise because there was no inkling of it, or no public inkling of it. But once it had happened, you thought, yeah, yeah. And in a, in a slightly patronising kind of a way, as a friend of his, not a close friend, but a friend of his, there was almost a bit of relief. Good, good, you deserve it. Just, you know, take a rest. With the news breaking on a Friday lunchtime, most Liverpool fans were in work including season ticket holder Rob Gutman. It must have come over the radio. It must have come over the radio, it was, and it was sort of like 11 in the morning, and it was as gobsmacking, I think, probably to, to my generation there as the Shankly resignation had been when it happens in 74. We've all, you know, I grew up seeing those clips of little scouse urchins uh, looking absolutely visibly shaken and shocked. And, and I was with um, my best mate who goes to the match with me, we worked together and we just sort of came in and out of each other's bit of this building and went, have you heard, have you heard? And we were just struck dumb. We knew it wasn't perfect, but he was Kenny. You know, he'd be, everything he did t- turned to gold. And if he had adversity, it was just another challenge that he'd overcome. So you never saw this coming in a million years. We just sort of shut up shop for the day. We just went back. We went to try and grab an echo. And the echo was like a morning edition. I remember going and grabbing an echo and seeing an image of a haunted-looking Kenny in the paper. Um, and I'm not ashamed to say it, but I don't like to say it out loud too often, but I cried, really properly cried. And I hadn't cried about anything. Uh, well, so the last time had been two years previously over Hillsborough um, and the aftermath of that and the day itself. But 
And maybe it was a part of that. There was sort of a tension linked to that and Kenny's in it being inextricably linked to it. I was just, just blubbed like a baby on my own. Um, and I could, you know, it was very hard to make sense of it because he was just, it, it felt, yeah, it was a final full stop. We, we'd always, Kenny was such a hero, such a hero because of what he'd been as a player and then how he'd sort of rescued the club in its darkest hour post Heisel and, and also the team on the wane. Uh, and then he'd rescued, and then he'd taken us to the heights of the double and then he'd, he'd been such a rock post, post Hillsborough. Uh, it felt like, Kenny's magical effect over the club, I suppose like Shankly's before him, it seemed like it needed to go on forever, and yet it had to stop. But it stopped with such an abrupt full stop of a way. Liverpool fans and writers Kev Sampson, John Mackin and Mike Nevin came together to discuss their memories of Kenny's departure. It came on the radio that Dalmish had thrown the towel in. And um, it was a very, very sad moment. It felt... It's one of those that, that there and then, you know, feels like a historic moment when you hear big news and and uh, and you know that it's going to have a profound impact. Mm. And unfortunately, that was, you know, that was a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because arguably, you know, we uh, we may still not have recovered from the, the ramifications of that. I was in work at my desk, at the home office in Bootle, St John's house, and um, mixed crowd in there, reds and blues, and the Evertonians were dancing in the office. They, it was like... You know, somebody pulled the rug out from under us, which it was, in a sense. You know, they thought, with Dalgleish gone, he, he, he couldn't take the fact that we didn't beat them in, in the cup tie. And uh, that they were cock-a-hoop, and we were all just, like, gobsmacked. Obviously, you know, no internet to look these things up on or check veracity of it, so people are in the in the canteen with the radio on. I had my first job in town working for a loss adjusters, and um, I only came home from work twice. One, because my nan had died, and my dad rang, rang up to say, your nan's dead. And um, the other time was like Dalgleish's resigned, and I felt like I had to go home straight away to comfort me dad and myself because it, it was it was seismic. Dalgleish resigned, you couldn't believe. Because of the shock of the decision and the few words by Kenny himself, the silence was filled by people's own theories on why Dalgleish may have resigned. Liverpool were top of the first division, but standards were high at Anfield and both the quality of football and the ability of signings had received criticism. Football commentator Graham Beecroft was sports editor at Radio City in Liverpool at the time. Liverpool were not playing as well as they should have played. Uh, and if you look back now at the signings that Kenny made between the Hillsborough disaster and, and that particular game, some of them were really poor signings. Not only were they poor signings in terms of the fact that they weren't very good footballers in the first place, but also there were poor signings from the point of view that Liverpool had a style of play, the pass-and-move style of play, which Liverpool had under under Shankly and more so under Paisley, and you know when they were such a fantastic side with fantastic players. And I think that Kenny, and, and he admitted afterwards, of course, had lost it to a certain extent in that respect. His signings were not footsore, and and they weren't players who were going to uh, who were going to benefit Liverpool Football Club. So I suspect, and it's turned out that you know that Kenny thought this isn't working for me. He wanted to retain, of course he did, and the fans wanted to retain his position as one of the greats, if not the greatest 
player uh, with Liverpool Football Club and he didn't want to tarnish that image quite rightly. He wanted to step down, step aside, get some breathing space and see what happened. Kenny wouldn't have gone to the end of his contract or wouldn't have wanted to, to go on knowing that the side was struggling just to get a payoff from the football club. That wouldn't have been Kenny Dalglish and, uh, and Kenny Dalglish's love for Liverpool. If I'm, if I'm being honest with Kenny, there's been a bit of criticism growing that year. It wasn't, the football wasn't the best. Um, some strange decisions going on. The midfield seemed to be full of fullbacks all the time. Barry Venison was playing, Burroughs was playing, Gary Ablett was playing. Kenny had become very kind of almost defensive-minded. Beardsley was getting left out because it was the big kind of, I mean, even that 4-4 at Goodison happened two nights earlier. He, he recalled Beardsley and, and there, was a, there was talk of a couple of the, the players gloating in his direction. There was talk of a massive row in the, in the dressing room. We knew, we knew things weren't, weren't that great. There were problems there. It seems strange now, Liverpool top of the league and, 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 and some fans aren't happy. Actually, probably not. But um, back then, we, the standards were so high that it seemed to be, you know, people weren't enjoying their football as much. And Kenny wasn't enjoying his football as much. And that was, that was part of the problem here. You know, he, he later says, you know, I couldn't make decisions anymore. I was paralysed. I couldn't make decisions I knew was no good for me. I mean, the man, he was suffering a form of a nervous breakdown. You know, there's no doubt about it. Nervous exhaustion, Sonny. He, 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 he was, he'd been pushed emotionally to the limits. And almost, when your standards are that high, personally, and, and Liverpool standards were so high, almost the fear of, the fear of failure is almost, is worse than failure itself. Because some managers can take failure. Well, I know, I, I've tried my best, I'm going, I'll get a payoff. But the fear of Liverpool dropping slightly below and you're 39 years of age and hearing this criticism, you don't, you just don't have to handle it. You know, no wonder the man was so pushed. I'm, I'm remembering specific bad days, uh, cup games where we conceded too many goals. There's a 3-0 beating down at Highbury we get, which struck me as a bit of a red-letter day. I think that's earlier on in that season. Uh, Kenny's famously criticised for playing six left-backs. Um all, all manner of lads who could play left back were in the team and it felt like a very defensive dour Liverpool. There were also some suggestions that Kenny wasn't getting the backing from the board that he felt he deserved, a theory supported by Bruce Quabler. I think that he, he wanted to buy a player to come to Anfield and he wasn't allowed to get the money from the chairman. And so he resigned. I believe he said to the, the board that uh, he's going to do something that they might regret and he did. He resigned, and where did he go to next? And he bought a striker for 3.75 million and he actually scored at Anfield to win the league. He would have come, if he had come to us, I think that Kenny would have been, his um, immortality would have been even higher because he saw the future and saw the future of the club and which player he could bring in. And because it was denied to him, I believe that that is the reason he... He didn't uh, carry on with us. Brian Reid had experienced a surprising lack of support at board level for Dagalish firsthand. Something I don't think is spoken about enough, the boardroom had changed. Smith had gone and Noel White was in charge. Now, I had, I had a meeting with Noel White. And the day Kenny resigned, this all came back to me because I'd let, I used to be a football writer on the post as well as a sub. I'd gone over to the Echo as a columnist and I started... And, a weekly columnist, but obviously I'd returned to football in Liverpool. And I wrote, I wrote a column, a very mocking column one day about the facilities at Anfield. And there was talk about 
England might get the World Cup in whatever year and Liverpool was hosted. So I just did a piss-taking column about imagine you know, the Brazilians trying to get a cup of tea at half-time and go for a pay, stuff like that. It's one of those standard things. And he called me in, he called me in to talk to me, talk me through, show me all the plans. And all. I thought, why is the why is the chairman of Liverpool show me all this? I don't really want to know, you know. He starts asking me what's the feeling about, uh, you know, amongst the fans. And I was saying, well, about Kenny and that. And I said, well, it's been great this season, hasn't it? You know, blah, 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 what I've just said, you know, a bit defensive, blah, blah, blah. And he starts piling in with the criticisms. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. It's only for me to talk about Kenny to be mates, but you're, you respect, you know. And he's joining in and, 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 uh, and I'm going, the signings have been great and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure things will be fine. And he was agreeing with me. And it was only when... I thought about that day about why, why Kenny had gone, and I thought, well, it's, it's easy when the fans criticise you because you expect that you're always going to get the fans. The play, the changing room. If certain players in the changing room, senior players are, are unhappy, you're going to kind of get that now and again. But if you haven't got the backing of the board, then you know you're struggling on three levels. I think, I think Liverpool were quite happy when Dalglish said he wants to go to think, well, maybe. Maybe he has burnt out and maybe Graeme Soonis is up there. We need discipline. We can't go and buy all these players. But some of those old, older players, they need, they, need, they need knocking into shape a bit more. We've got some lads coming through. Maybe Soonis is the man. Henry Winter remembers the press speculation at the time and a surprising lack of consideration given to the Hillsborough disaster, which had taken place less than two years previous. I think in the immediate aftermath of Dalglish's uh, resignation, there were a lot of opinion pieces, um, as, as he would suggest by people uh, living in in the south and not being aware of what had been going on in you know in his life or up on Merseyside so much and um, and they they completely misread the, the, the mood I think he phoned the, the post that afternoon just to say because there'd been some sort of talk about oh how he had a falling out with anyone at the club and I think he rang the post and, and spoke to I think it was Phil McNulty and, and said actually no there was there was None of that, you know, there was, this is, I am going because I, I cannot do this job anymore. Um, and I think it was only later that the true, you know, the, the, the true reasons fully came out. I think maybe it was because everyone, sorry, people assumed that he, he, he wasn't under this strain, which, which, which clearly took its toll and was the reason why he left Liverpool. But people maybe not close to the situation didn't realize that because he had been so strong and during the whole Hillsborough and the aftermath. Um, so maybe they just, it, it, it was a shock and well, people were looking for sort of other reasons, but I have to say that was a period of English journalistic history, which probably wasn't uh, the industry's finest hour, that period anyway. I mean, Liverpool fans don't know who told, but I think there was a lot of jumping to, 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 to the wrong conclusions. You know, in, in the in the previous sort of two three years, and there was an element of people maybe not considering enough, but also I don't think Dalglish necessarily, because he's not in his nature, to have to have sat at that press conference, which he clearly wanted to to, to, to leave as quickly as he could, and um, and actually explain the real reasons why he'd gone. Maybe he hadn't analysed it fully. Maybe he, he wasn't completely clear of you know what had would have triggered it, but but clearly, you know, as he looked back on it, he would realise that Hillsborough completely was the cause. I don't think anybody was going around going Hillsborough because Hillsborough wasn't using that con- in that context then. Hillsborough wasn't using that context for a long time. You know, it wasn't given the full appreciation of what of the effect it had on people because a lot of people didn't want it to. They wanted to think, look, we can't keep dwelling on this. 
we need to move, we need to move on. People were asking Kenny, he said, no, it's not, it's not with me. Not that amazing, daily injections, I've got blotches all over my body and I'm screaming at my kids for no reason, you know. And I was a teetotal when I was a player, but now to get through it, I was on to drink wine, you know. Of course, there's mental health issues, but you didn't bring it up then as a man, you know. And and you would have got no, you'd got very little sympathy then anyway, you know, because you would have had people going, what, a football manager? Don't forget the economy at the time. There's, there's, there's people who haven't got jobs and you've got mental health issues. What kind of pressure is that? You'd get that all the time. And it was a lack of an appreciation of what pressure was. As I say, you know, the pressure that he was under. I mean, Shankly said, the pressure eats away at you. This job eats away at you. All your life, your family life, it eats away at it. If you love the club that much and there's so much 100% pressure on you to do well, it eats into, into your soul. Writer and Liverpool fan Tony Evans had moved to California in the aftermath of Hillsborough. Even, you know, from 6,000 miles away, you know, going to watch the games of a Saturday morning, you, you could see the strain on his face. You could see that... You know, he was um, he, he, where he was heading. And the, the thing is, I was in California because what happens, and I didn't recognise that I was having, after Hillsborough, a sort of nervous breakdown because you think you're normal. And g- given what, what Kenny went through and what he, he saw and that, that the, his involvement with the families, no wonder it affected him, no wonder it took such a toll. And, um, you know, I, I don't think, especially in those days, none of us thought in terms of, you know, talking to anyone or getting help of any sort. I suppose Kenny would have been in the same position as people like me. A lot of people like me go, it didn't happen to me. You know, I, I was the one that's not happened to me that day. Other people died, other people were injured. No, not happened to me. And yet, um, whenever anyone goes through uh, an event like this, there's bound to be an effect on them. Someone should have realised that he was taking on not just the strain of running a football club, managing a football club like Liverpool, which is difficult enough, but he seemed to be taking the weight of the city's pain on himself. And someone someone there should have noticed, someone should have said, you know, this is too much for any human to bear. He needed help. And he was helping so many people. And who was there to help him? It is absolutely impossible to exaggerate how immense Kenny Dalglish and Marina Dalglish were in the weeks and months following the Hillsborough tragedy. It, it almost becomes, um, because he is a, a, a legendary figure, it, it almost becomes taken as read that he was um, a leader, uh, a counsellor, almost... Um, Politician in the in the wake of, of a disaster the likes of which you know, none of us could have countenanced. So the the first thing to remember when you start to consider Kenny Dalglish's resignation is that his conduct and the sense of responsibility that he took, the leadership that he gave, not just the football club, but the city, and, and actually in the absence of anybody else giving any proper leadership, the nation, in response to that disaster, was fantastic. It was huge. It was massive. It was much bigger than anything that he could have really believed that he had within him. And that's what he gave. And before you even start to think about how he reacted those months later... That needs recording and it needs remembering and replaying. Kenny and Marina Dalglish 
were the two people who helped Liverpool Football Club, Merseyside and the country start to come to terms with Hillsborough. Listen, everybody lived through it, but I believe that uh, Kenny Dalglish should, should have been uh, knighted for his efforts and how he conducted himself around Hillsborough. Um, it was himself and the uh, councillors that counselled us came up with this um, theory that if we go to the victims' houses and knock on the doors, that you you can counsel them while counselling yourself, which actually happened. It did. It helped everybody in the team. Uh, I don't think that they, you'll hear anybody say that it didn't help. Um, and for that, I believe he should have been knighted. And that's just my my feeling. That's he he handled himself. Him and his wife Marina handled himself with. Most, uh, most dignified way and uh, helped everybody else in the process. That leaves a scar on you, that's for sure. I mean, I, it's, it's still there again. I mean, it affected everybody massively. And you know, Kenny was obviously with the, the extra burden of being the manager, who knows, and I, I, but I didn't spot it. Um, maybe we're all um, in our own sort of little world at the time. Maybe we're all suffering a little bit from it, but um, none of us, I certainly didn't spot Kenny being anything different, um, but but obviously at home he must have been, um, and maybe that's the, I mean, that's what he said. It's about from your family, and I say you've got to respect that. It's something I noticed more in retrospect. I think in I think at the time it's just your dad being moody. It's not really a big deal, or your dad telling you off, or your dad being snappy. It's just oh he's in a bad mood, and it doesn't really. And it's not like you know he went. <laughs> it's not like he went for being. You know, Father Christmas to, to the Grinch. It was, you know, he re, it was only a sort of version of himself. He was still himself, but he probably was snappier, and he probably felt more that his his temper was, you know, was shorter at that time. He was definitely. I mean, looking back in hindsight, he definitely was grumpier. He definitely was snappier. He definitely was angrier, and he would definitely just kind of like lose his temper, stupid things, and just be like. But the, you just kind of got used to it. It wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. You just kind of get on with it. Mm. So now, now looking at how he is now, and thinking about how he was before, I can definitely see the change in him over that period. Ronnie Winan was temporary manager of Liverpool until April that year, when Graeme Souness was appointed Liverpool manager. Should Liverpool have waited until the summer to see if Kenny was willing to return? or were they right to appoint a new, highly successful manager who had also been one of Liverpool's greatest ever players? After all, the club is bigger than any one man, even a king. It is a debate that still rages until this day. And what they should have done, undoubtedly, is said to Kenny, look, you're ill. You, 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 haven't had a, you haven't had a break from football. You've come from being the best player in Britain to the best manager. You've, you've, you've taken them through these disasters and you've, you've never stopped. You've never stopped every time for your family. Goes to the end of the season. It's February now, end of the season. You know, Ronnie Brown will take over, come back. If he didn't do that, they were quite happy to accept it, I think. I, you know, many times over the years, particularly on, I thought, if only they'd said to him, go and have a holiday, come back, you know, sort yourself out and we, we pick up again. Because, of course, he wasn't a spent force. He went to Blackburn and he won the Premier League. So that premise that, you know, you, re, you, you, you only know how much you value something when it's gone. 
I think it was very true about, about Kenny's management. And we were so arrogant at the time uh, that we thought, well, just roll on anyway. The system's still there. As if, you know, this is, you know, we've been at the top now f- for what? Since, well, right at the top, recent since 73. You know, forget the 60s, that's 18 years. You know, of course things are going to go on. Who's going to challenge us? Arsenal, go away, you know. Um, and some people were thinking, well, maybe soon as, because soon as had a great record at Rangers, we thought maybe that's what they need, you know. I think, see, People weren't unhappy when it was when it was announced that Graham Sooners could could come in. So I just think there was a sense of maybe Kenny looks ill. Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe he needs a break. Maybe he's telling us he can't carry on doing the job. And if that's the case, you know, it's a shame. But we we Liverpool would be okay. Well, he clearly needed a break. I think he but a couple of weeks wouldn't have been enough. I mean, you know, he could have got that during the international break. You know, he needed. To actually go away and and look, he's never going to clear his head of those memories of going to all the funerals, of the pain suffered by so many people, and it, pain that's still being felt now. But I just think maybe maybe in the modern world, when people are, you know in the 21st century, when people are a little bit more aware of stresses in in the workplace and in people's lives they would have said, just take six months off. But then in fairness to the club, and Liverpool are a very compassionate club, particularly when Peter Robinson was right in the heart of it, they they still have to run a club. You know, they had to get a a manager in. Um, So, you know, know, maybe Kenny would have come back in the the summer. I I don't know, probably would have done. But for Dalglish's health, and his well-being, he clearly needs to have a significant break. I don't know if this generation have, have loved... I mean, I know Gerard was hugely adored, but loved. I think Kenny was truly loved by a portion of our fan base, and of which I very much was one, by a large swathe of it. And we didn't want to see him in pain. We didn't want to see him criticised. So, I, And I think, I think him... The, the book being closed on Kenny was, in some respects, a relief. You know, once it was obvious that, that the king was dead, I was in a long-live-the-king kind of mood. At the end of the day, you want to get yourself up and watch Liverpool Football Club again. No one's bigger than the club, as Kenny would be the first to, to say. And I was excited about the future. I assume, I suppose, like most people, that the whole... The, the way the club are being run, the transition... Because, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd lived through the transition from Shankly to Paisley... Paisley to Fagan, Fagan to, to Dalglish, and you think, oh, yeah, you know, it's all just going to carry on. And I thought the club as an entity in itself was self-sustaining, and I didn't realise that actually, no, what it was was the people who were actually involved and the people who were runners who created this, this, this sort of dynasty in football. And once you removed the most important people, that was all going to fall apart. And... Um, so I, I was quite confident that, that things would get better and, you know, and improve. <laughs> the next few years came as a terrible shock. <laughs> Fast forward almost 20 years to January 2011, when Kenny Dagalish does finally return to Liverpool as manager, much to the delight of every Liverpool fan. Well, nearly. I was terrified when he went back, because what, what are you going to do? I mean... It wasn't exactly an easy job to be going into. Plus, there would be all the expectations. Plus, the first game was against Man United. And you were just like, don't do this. This is not... I wouldn't say that to him. It's not my decision to make, but oh, my God. And also, 
like from the time he was at Liverpool, the, the time before, to like 20 years later, it's just not quite 20 years later, 15 years later, it's a completely different job. The, the, the focus on it, the intensity of the scrutiny, all of that is just so much bigger than it was from the last time he was at Liverpool. And he's had a bit of that, you know, from the time at Blackburn and Newcastle and, and Celtic. But he, he hadn't had that, that sort of recent experience of it, which I'd seen from the other side. But I just knew what he was going into. And I was like, I was so worried for him that he'd made this decision. But again, it, it was a decision that once he's decided he's going to do it, it, it makes sense. And I was just, he was so happy to be going back that it was really lovely to see, especially the first game at Anfield. That was just watching him going out. And because it, because the stand hadn't been redeveloped, it was still the main stand and it was still the dugout. And it was just really, it was really emotional to see him because he was so happy and because he was so kind of caught up in the in the whole emotion of it. That, that, and, and he's not, he's become more emotional probably as he's got older. I think everyone does, but especially men. But he, because he was so emotional about it, it was really moving. It was really lovely to see. You sort of get, I almost felt like a parent. I almost felt like I was going, oh, God, look at him. He's so happy. <laughs> and I think as, as much as, you know, because they won the League Cup, um, even though it didn't go well in the league, I think he feels like he went back and he took a trophy. And I think he feels like that, that's closed things off for him. He feels like there's a sort of, resolution there the story's reached a natural endpoint, which i think is really nice for him and really important for him i was a little worried for him coming back i mean it's i mean i felt the same about howard kendall both times really i'm sure great people with the great boxers have told them not to go back in the ring and there's something there that i mean i, I know people in football today who work in you know on my side and are relaxed and happy and you know they've got family lives and everything and they still want to get back into management it's just like some kind of drug. And when you're as intense about your commitment as Kenny was and is, um, it's almost a sense of duty. It's, it, I think there's almost a sense that if, if, if the phone rings and he, was, and he was asked today to, you know, Jürgen Klopp's decided to go and manage Germany or whatever, we want you to... I, I don't think he'd say no. I just think he feels that when the call comes, that his involvement... He probably feels if the football club's given him far more than he's given the football club. I'm not sure he's right about that, but he, that's the kind of man he is. And so I think he would see it as a matter of duty to, to come back. And, that, and he, you know, he, he, he came back in, in, in those circumstances. And um, it was the same as always. Um, hugely unhelpful. <laughs> Um, <laughs> bloody difficult in interviews. It was like he'd never been away. And that was a good sign. I thought, oh, OK, that's good. We've got you back then. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, great. I think sometimes when you do move out and you leave, then you realise how much of a big decision that it was. Um, at the time, you maybe, you maybe didn't think it was, but I think he always wanted to come back and uh, he, he got that chance. Well, it was brilliant. And, it, you know, because, like, uh, as you say, I mean, it was clear how much it was going to mean to Dalglish. And I did a second book with him. And I remember him talking about that, about it was, you know, how just getting back, being Liverpool manager, his emotion towards the cop 
And I can remember him saying, he said, I would love to be in the cop one day. And it, in a way, it was just, it, it, it summed up Dalgleish, how much Liverpool was a part of him, that you know, he, he's played for the club, he's managed the club, he's been an ambassador of the club, still is an ambassador for the club. And yet, ultimately, the most important thing to say about Kenny Dalglish's relationship with Liverpool Football Club is that he's a fan of the club. And I thought that was brilliant. As, as a writer, I immediately thought, right, that's the intro. That's the opening uh, chapter. Kenny Dalglish sitting in the dugout, looking at the Liverpool fans and the cops said, I want to be in there. That is what, that is part of it. It's like when Gerard scored against Olympiacos, he, <laughs> the first thing he wanted to do was dive into the crowd, even though he, was gonna, he knew he'd get a booking. Because there is that element, that sort of emotional in, in engagement with the cop. When he came back, I think that was one of the most joyous moments in my whole support of the club. It seemed right, it seemed natural. It, you know, in the Gillette and Hicks era, we'd been through a civil war, you know, inside and outside the club. We kind of lost our identity in some respects because with all the infighting going on and the sense of purposelessness in that was surrounding the whole place and you know Hodgson to come in and he was just totally alien to everything that had ever regarded as being part of Liverpool's fabric and culture and then Kenny come back and it was almost it's uh, it, it revived all those feelings and all, those, all that sense of what the place was about, and I, it, it was it, it was brilliant. It was, the feeling was right. Now, now we can move forward after after those years, awful years, where who, who knew where the club was heading. And all of a sudden, all the all the wounds on the cop were healed. The the cop had been bloody fighting, you know. Anti Rafa, anti this, anti that, the Hodgson this, Hodgson that, and overnight everyone was united. Stunned and, and elated in a way I hadn't expected to be elated because I was well over him. I was well. I thought I was. I thought I was, but it was very. It was yeah. There was there was a, there was a deep subconscious emotional reaction for me and I think many people of my generation about it. Um, I remember sort of saying again to my friend who. had been with on the day uh, it happened to I still go to every single match with I said it's weird it feels like we've got the club back and I mean not just back from the Hodgson grip I mean from the 24 year uh, the 24 years since it, we'd been the real Liverpool that I'd grown up with the time the Liverpool I've spent most of my adult life with is the Liverpool that, we're most, that we know and, and love today and it's a, it's a fantastic football club it wins things every now and again it, it lifts us it disappoints us and it has this history but it has a different feeling to the way it felt to me growing up where it was this mighty sporting force and therefore all the emotion and all the, the culture around it was for a purpose and the purpose was winning um, and being the best and Kenny reeked of that, 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 that vibe. And when he came back, it was like, and the way he talked and the way he was in a press conference, it was like, wow, this just feels like how Liverpool back. I don't know. Obviously, it, it was an, an illusion because he couldn't, he couldn't single-handedly make that all happen again. But for a moment, it seemed possible. Tour Moments in Time is produced by myself and Josh Sexton with support from everybody at the Anfield Vap. Huge thanks to all the voices you heard. In order of appearance, that was Clive Tildesley, Glenn Hussein, Brian Reed, Kelly Cates, Roy Evans, Bruce Grobelard, David Prentice, Henry Winter, Rob Gutman, 
Kev Sampson, John Mackin, Mike Nevin, Graham Beecroft and Tony Evans. Thanks for their time and belief in a project that didn't exist. Tour Moments in Time can only happen because of the people who subscribe to Tour Player, our monthly subscription service. If you are one of those people, thank you. If you aren't, then it costs just £5 a month. You can find out more at theanfieldwrap.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.